0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute.
1: Hello, Naomi, and this is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI.
0: And today we are excited to be joined by Jonathan Scruggs. He is a senior counsel at the Alliance Defending Freedom, and he's also the director there for their Center of Conscience Initiatives. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: So um, we are here today to talk about a case that you are working on that involves um, certain ideas about what it takes to be a foster parent and whether those requirements are legal or not. Um, so I was wondering if you could sort of describe a little bit about the background for us, and then we'll kind of delve into some of some of the finer points about the case so we can understand the law better.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the case involves... Uh a woman from Oregon named Jessica Bates. She's a, a pretty amazing mom. She's a mom of five. Uh, she actually is a widow. Her husband was tragically killed uh, in a car accident in 2017. So she's raising uh, these five children, and she heard a broadcast on the radio, a religious broadcast and about fostering and adopting, and she was inspired, kind of convicted and, and inspired to go and foster and, and really adopt a sibling pair. Uh, she felt convicted to do that because of her faith. So she started that process in Oregon, applied to the state because you have to be certified by the state uh, to go through that. And she was going through the process, uh, receiving training, receiving educational materials. And during that training, a big emphasis of the training was supporting and accepting uh, a child's uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. And that came up a lot in the training and they, they really put some specifics, for example, that all foster and adoption parents were expected to use a child's preferred pronoun. They were expected to, you know, one of the examples in the training was fly the, uh, the pride flag or take a child to a pride festival. Um, and even another example was mentioned was uh, deterring parents from taking a child to religious events that didn't support uh, a child's sexual orientation and gender identity. Hmm. So this was pretty problematic for Jessica. She's a woman of faith. She goes to church. She's involved in her church heavily in Bible studies and whatnot. So she emailed the certifiers like, hey, I I really appreciate the training. But one thing is, you know, I I will love and accept every child. She made that quite clear in her email. But I can't support or promote ideas that I disagree with that violate my religious beliefs. Um, and that started a dialogue and email chain with the certifier, uh, the certifier said, well, that's problematic. Let me give you an example. Would you be willing to take, if a child was going to attempt to transition, would you be willing to take a child to get hormone shots? Uh, and, and Jessica respectfully said, well, no, I, I can't do that. It's against my faith. And for that reason, she eventually was denied, uh the, the license to adopt, and now but, I'm but, she distra- appro-
1: but she was approved on every other, she was approved in every yes. other dimension.
2: That's right. So it's important. A couple of facts that, you know, it's important to stress is this was kind of at the, the beginning of the process in, in the sense of like who is eligible peer to, to potentially adopt. And Jessica wanted to adopt a child, a sibling pair that was below the age of nine uh, to be younger than her children. And so, what this requirement basically did is, there was not a specific child in mind. You had to be willing to agree to do these things on for every hypothetical child, no matter who that child was or their age or whatever. The mere fact that you disagreed kind of removed you from being eligible. And so, she cannot adopt any child, no matter who it is, uh, because of her beliefs uh, on these topics. Mm.
1: Does it matter that it's her religious belief? Or, for example, you just said, did you would she concur to have hormone shots? What if you just don't think that that is uh, something that you could commit to at this stage, even before seeing a child? That, that has nothing to do with religious belief.
2: Yeah, well, I think that's a, a really good question. And let me put out some meat on the bone. You know, we filed a lawsuit uh, involving the case, and we filed what's called use legal jargon a motion for a preliminary injunction which basically is hey court our rights are being violated right now so protect us and in that request we're bringing both uh free exercise claims which focus on religion but also free speech claims that basically say being forced to agree with an idea that you disagree with as a condition to adopt or foster violates your free speech rights and those principles would apply uh, not just to religious speech, but to other speech. You know, the government couldn't say, hey, uh, you've got to agree that communism is wrong, right, in order to condition it, it, if you want to adopt or foster. So I think that that principles would apply not just to, you know, religion, but to other topics. hmm.
0: So um, talk a little bit about why this matters that it's not just it's that she's not um, it's not just a particular child that she is um, trying to take in. I mean, that, you know are there, would you say that there are instances where an agency could decide that it is more appropriate to place a child who maybe uh, is gay or you know does identify as another gender that it would be more appropriate to place them with a family um, that is more willing to accept those kinds of, I don't know whether we're going to call them identities or lifestyles or whatever it is. Um, and that it's really sort of the blanket denial here that's the problem.
2: I think that's a large part of it. I mean, in fact, that's how Oregon typically operates, right? So you can imagine Oregon allows you to select and say, Hey, I want a child of a particular sex, or I want, you know, a child uh, of a particular age. Uh, you know, you can imagine a scenario where you only have daughters and you don't want to, you know, and you only have like a single room, for example. So Oregon typically allows you to be eligible. Uh, and then, uh, so, you know, you with the right child that's appropriate for your particular circumstances you know you can imagine a muslim family wanting to only adopt a a muslim child right or just it it works out well in that sense but it'd be very weird if oregon said hey because if you're an atheist you've got to be willing to support christianity in order to be eligible to adopt any child whatsoever Hmm. but that's exactly what oregon is doing And, and what that effectively does is it lowers the pool of eligible families and hurts children. So, you know, give me, let me give you an example, you know, because Jessica is ineligible, she couldn't foster or adopt a child at her own church. Let's say there's a, uh, you know, a child in needing for whatever reason to be uh, a home at her own church or a kinship type situation, even if the child agrees with her religious beliefs her idea, or, idea or you know, her philosophical beliefs, Oregon won't even allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I think that goes to show it's nothing about, you know, protecting kids. This is all about ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should be concerning for all of us when the government is acting as that gatekeeper on the front end to basically pick and choose which ideology, ideologies it, it agrees with and to lower the number of, of families who are willing to help children.
0: Right
1: and 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 again, I mean, this is just extraordinary. But even again, back to the example of hormone shots, a child doesn't have the uh, right to legally consent to something like that, isn't that right? Wouldn't that have to be approved by their parent?
2: I I mean, well, depends on which state you are. This is kind of a a debated topic across the country. You know, some states are, you know, banning these attempts at medical procedures from minors. Some states require, um, you know, uh, parental consent. Some states, strange enough, have been changing their laws to say, no, these kids can get these procedures at certain ages without parental consent, which I think is problematic. Um, So there is a lot of variety and debate, but that's why this case is a lot easier, right? Oregon is not saying, uh, hey, we're preventing – it's basically saying – you've got to agree to do this for every hypothetical child, no matter what, no matter what situation, no matter what age, in situations where I think everyone would agree it's not appropriate. You know, think about an infant, right? Like a child who's two years old, who in the world would try to take that child to get, you know, medically transitioned? Um, but Oregon is saying same because you won't hypothetically agree with that, then you're excluded.
1: And, and is the penalty that 10 years from now, If you violate with an actual child, you know, in line with the the whatever, hypothetically, that you would risk losing that child?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it even goes broader than that, right? I mean, in the sense of the logic is scary because it's basically saying, look, you are not fit to parent because you hold these beliefs um, or or you're unwilling to affirm these beliefs. And because Jessica is in this adoption context, it's a bit scary to think about like. Why doesn't it apply that to biological parents, right? right? If the state is willing to say, hey, your beliefs are so dangerous that you endanger a child or you're unfit to be a parent, that's pretty dangerous and broad logic uh, that applies not just in the adoption context but outside of it.
0: So I wanted to let's talk a little bit about kind of the the parallels and maybe the similarities and differences between this case and the cases where um, uh, religious organizations that do foster care and adoption were being uh, told that they needed to place with gay couples or really any any um, any kind of uh, family mem- family structure um, that the the government said they would go that said they should. Um, so it, it, do you think that this is kind of a, a different level? is the um, is our are, are, are states pursuing this because it's becoming harder for them to, after the Supreme Court decision from a couple of years ago, regulate the faith-based agencies?
2: I mean, partly, I think it's just the nature kind of the all-encompassing nature of gender ideology that it's kind of going through in our schools and our, Uh, you know, programs like this. I think there's some similar parallels. The case you're probably referring to is Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, um, which went to the U.S. Supreme Court. That case involved a Catholic social services, and they said, hey, we couldn't place, we're a private agency, we can't place families with same-sex couples because of uh, or children with the same-sex couples goes and violates religious beliefs. We have a similar case in New York that we actually just settled and won, in one, New Hope Family Services, so similar issue. And I think what's interesting is there's a parallel in the sense of like, it's just kind of a common sense result, I think, in both of these, because this case went up to the US Supreme Court and they're like, look, uh, we want to encourage private agencies to be in existence, right? To match the right family with the right child, uh, because that maximizes, you know, minimizes children in foster adoption care, maximizes children in a loving home. So why should we, you know, it wasn't like uh, Catholic social services was going to decline this and change their religious beliefs. They were just going to have to shut down, uh, which was, which was problematic. And the Supreme Court seemed very worried about that for obvious reasons. And so I think there is a parallel particularly on that in this case with an individual, right, with the state saying, not just saying, hey, we're going to match you with the right child, but we're going to exclude you at the door, period. The end result is the same. It's just lowering the pool and hurting the children. Um, And, of course, in both situations, we think they're strong free exercise and, in our case, free speech violations as well. Right.
1: So where do things stand with the case?
2: So we we recently filed it. And like I said, I mentioned before, I don't wanna get too much in legalese terms, but we filed this motion basically saying, hey court, our our client's rights are being violated right now. uh, And that while the case is ongoing, we want an injunction. We want a court order allowing Jessica to restart the process, to apply and go through, because sometimes court cases can last three, five years. Um, So we filed that motion. The state of Oregon has yet to respond. Um, but I'm hopeful that, by, you know, if we win that motion, our client will be able to restart the process because it can take time to even go through the, the fostered adoption process. And so hopefully that will be the ideal solution. But do you but we'll think they would see.
1: operate Do you think they would operate in good faith?
2: Well, you know, they have a court. They have us as the lawyers and the court over, looking over their shoulders. <laughs> right. Uh, so if we win this motion, the case doesn't end. It continues until it goes to a final ruling um so that would be part of the element if the state does something to attack someone's religious police while we're in court we're already there we can go before the judge and say hey this is improper
0: right so, but but, but I, it's not just it's it's more than that i mean it's a question of even if she gets the license the state still has the discretion to decide what right. child is appropriate to yeah. place with her and that and, that is going to be tough to press your case
2: there right right Well, not necessarily. I mean, part of our relief is like, look, you can't use our clients' religious beliefs and philosophical beliefs against her, like, as a basis to deny her at the end, not just at the beginning. Um, So, uh, and that highlights that there are, you know, I think roughly last year, there were about 8,000 children in Oregon in the system. Surely there are children that the state of Oregon can place with Jessica. And no one disputes in this case that Jessica's a loving mom. She has five kids. She's taking care of them. Uh, you know, any child would be blessed to be in their home, that loving home. Surely the state of Oregon can place a child in need with, with Jessica. So,
0: Yeah, well, maybe you haven't spent enough time around child welfare agencies. <laughs> yes, so
2: exactly. An,
0: an amazing story a few years ago, uh, the former governor of Kentucky told that um, he and his wife had five children and one of their children had become friends with a child who was in foster care. They met her at a local playground or something. And um, but this was before he was the governor. Um, and he was, had, you know, they had plenty of money and the, um, his wife stayed at home with the kids and um, they applied to foster this child who was, I think, maybe nine or 10 at the time, maybe a little bit younger. And, um, and the state turned them down because it said that they had too many children already. <laughs> um, so, so, um, yeah, they'll, 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 uh, I, I, I worry about kind of the, the discretion that the agency will take, uh, and, and the reasons that they, not that you won't be there to sort of argue with them afterwards, but, um, but it becomes very kind of, um, And yeah, They can
1: hide behind some,
0: yeah, um, some
1: quasi legitimate reason to block her from gaining access
0: well, we did also want to ask you, there was another similar case. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had Eugene Volokh on to talk about a similar case and wanted to just sort of ask you what uh, kind of whether I don't know exactly how that case ended or whether it has a bearing on your case in terms of the arguments that you're making and, and what you might expect.
2: It does. Actually, when we cite that case as an example of how things should result. So that case came out of Washington. Very similar, somewhat different in the sense that, that was a foster case rather than an adoption case, uh, but really s- similar facts. It was a grandparent who wanted to do a kinship. I think it was their granddaughter who mm-hmm. wanted mm-hmm. to to adopt that child. And a similar system, they went through that kind of process. And during that, the officials kind of inquired about, hey, what are your religious beliefs about gender identity? What are your, will you be willing to do these pronouns? Will you be willing to you know, take your child to these medical treatments to attempt to change someone's sex. And they said, hey, we love every child, but, you know, we will support the child no matter what, but we're going to stick to our religious beliefs. And at the end of the day, the federal court there in Washington said that violates their free exercise rights um, by forcing them to do this. And at the end of the court case, it entered a permanent injunction saying, hey, Washington, you can't rely on these religiously biased factors to exclude this family. So it was a positive result, and we cite that case. And there's actually another case, you might not be aware of, out of the Third Circuit out of Pennsylvania, where a, a federal appellate court, so this is one step below the Supreme Court, um, ruled that, again, similar fact pattern, said that it was a constantly protected activity for foster parents to communicate their religious beliefs to foster children Mm-hmm. And it potentially violated the First Amendment uh, to for the uh, state agency to decline a foster license on that uh, on the basis of those religious beliefs about gender identity. So I think what that shows is kind of two things: a, this is happening across the country. This is not just in Oregon. It's not just in Washington. It's not just in Pennsylvania. We've even received a lot of calls even after filing the case from parents who alerted us to you know it's almost an. Uh, an epidemic, if you will, of the stuff happening behind closed doors, which is very concerning. Mm. But we also see is a growing trend of federal courts saying this violates the Constitution, mm. and I think that's a, a you know a good pattern. One we're hoping to get some good case law in this uh, federal district court to apply elsewhere. Yeah.
1: And so, your end result, your your desire, is that your client could. Uh, raise her child just like any other parent, biologically or otherwise, should have the freedom to make these decisions. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And to be able to go through the process, you know, we're not saying that our client has the right to adopt any particular child, right? That the the state can match best interests, best, you know, best situation with whatever, but you can't exclude us at the door just because of what we believe and because of you know, the views that we affirm. And again, that's what, how this, the, op, the, the system typically works, right? We don't, if there's an atheist, we don't force the atheist to agree with Christianity. Right. Right. In order to, to be eligible to foster and adopt, right? We just, you know, we work that, at the, work that out at the back end and match the appropriate child with the appropriate potential parents. I think that that's a win-win for everybody.
1: Do you have data on how many other parents are excluded at the very beginning and for what reasons?
2: We don't. I think one of the challenges in the situation is, you know, we can't just send a FOIA. You know, this is kind of a a black box scenario. But once we hit discovery in the case, all those documents have to be given to us, that we can see. Hey, how often is this happening? But you know, we've definitely seen some indication that it is happening. But we don't have kind of that raw data of how frequent it is. Uh, Right. Yeah my, well, my the guess other be-
0: problem is that you know all the people who will just be discouraged from starting the process in the
1: exactly, first Exactly correct It's not
0: just I applied and they turned me down for this reason. I mean, that's the that's the yes. thing. I mean, yes. I don't think you can get away when you're talking about the foster care system in this country. The vast majority of the people who are doing it are people of faith. And the mm-hmm. idea that you would engage, I mean, this is hard work. And a lot of people don't want to do this. And, you know, the idea that you would shrink this pool so considerably uh with these arbitrary rules, that's unconstitutional rules. Um, you know, as you said, Jonathan, really impacts, you know, the ability of kids to find find good permanent homes
1: yeah and 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 my sense is if you were to find out for other would be parents that applied that were rejected i imagine the reasons probably are are bad in some way and that you're putting that on a level playing field of of a mom in this case who clearly has the best intentions for kids
2: yeah, it, it's just really politics about people, right, When you, a, a, at the core of it, uh, which is sad because, again, the kids are lo- losing out. I mean, it's a violation of constitutional rights, but it's the kids who are losing out. And I think, a, as you noted about the Supreme Court in that case in Fulton, the Supreme Court really cared about that, w- which makes sense. Uh, as I noted before, there are win-wins here for everybody. Uh, but when you say, hey, we hold a political – a certain ideology, and we're going to allow that to trump every other interest – uh it, it's just bad news for everybody. So we think we got a lot of good arguments on our side here to to win this motion first of all and then to win the case at the end of the day.
1: And take it to where it leads. Thank yeah, you good, very much.
0: Good luck with it. Um, this has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? Uh you can find episodes of this podcast on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. So with that, I'm Naomi Schaefer Riley.
1: And I'm Ian Rowe. Jonathan, thank you and thank you for everything ADF does.
2: Thank you all so much, I really enjoyed my time.